When it's time to seed grass, fertilize turf, or add a pop of color to your yard, Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered with unbeatable deals on lawn and garden essentials. Find value on everything you need in-store or online at farmandfleet.com. If you're a parent, if you're a dairy producer, uh, maybe you don't have as much detail as you should about what your kids are consuming at school. Have you talked to them lately? Did they have milk with their meal today? Did they have all the milk they wanted? What kind of milk did they have access to? It's one of the questions that I'm posing today to our guest. Her name, Michael Wadig. She is the Government Affairs Associate Director for Edge Dairy Cooperative. We got some good news for the dairy industry recently. The USDA has announced schools will have access to no-fat flavored milk for kids for at least uh, the next two school terms. Michael explained for people why this is an on-again, off-again discussion that dairy has to stay engaged with. Seems like we just can't get a final answer on this. Tell me about this latest conversation. Hi, Pam. Yes, thanks for having me this morning. We were encouraged to see last week the announcement that USDA will allow schools to continue to offer uh, low-fat flavored milk for the, at least the next two school years. That is a transitional rule coming off of a lot of pandemic flexibilities to ensure that schools could get access to nutritional food during the pandemic. And so um, there were a lot of flexibilities there. And now this transitional rule allows clarity while USDA comes up with the final rule, um, which they will uh, release the proposed rule later this year. And so we're going to keep engaged on that to ensure that um, so that milk stays on the menu for our kids in the school lunch program. And, you know, to your point, this has been kind of oscillating back and forth, you know, yo-yoing a bit. So that comes from the uh, dietary guidelines. This all started in the tw- when the 2010 dietary guidelines were released, and they were rather unfriendly to dairy. And so the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act, which preceded that, had to develop guidelines for our children for the school nutrition programs that were based on those dietary guidelines. And so low-fat flavored milk was no longer allowed. It had to be fat-free to be um, in school. So um, we really saw a huge drop in consumption of milk in general in schools. That's detrimental because milk is a very important source of nutrients for growing kids, you know, from protein to calcium and keeps them fuller longer. And, and there is a growing body of research that says fuller fat dairy products do not result in negative health, health outcomes. So um, throughout the years, as different research comes out and the dietary guidelines change, things like this change. And then in 2017 or 2018, the Trump administration went ahead and did allow for um, low-fat flavored milks to be allowed in schools. And so it has been allowed since then, but, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion. Um, USDA can change this at any time, really. And so we were glad to see um, the Biden administration continue to allow those low-fat flavored milks in schools. So it's low-fat, not just no-fat that kids have access to now. They do, yes. Low-fat flavored milks. So let's talk a little bit about who's on the other side, who's constantly pushing against us, Michael. I mean, it it's not necessarily just about nutrition. Sometimes it's groups disguising themselves as uh, kind of nutrition-focused. That is certainly true. There are groups that are um, unfriendly to animal ag in general that do want to incorporate more than just actual health of foods into those dietary guidelines. We saw um, in the 2015 dietary guidelines, they tried to put in sustainability measures for the dietary guidelines. And, you know, that is really irrelevant to, um, you know, the 
the nutrition of what folks are putting in their bodies. And so we don't think that that has a place, and we think that the dietary guidelines should focus strictly on what the nutritional value of that food. And so you'll see a lot of groups trying to give their input on animal ag in general and, you know, those protein sources. And so we do have an an uphill battle just ensuring that our dairy products stay on the menu. So this has got to be just a nightmare for school lunch programs because they are all about consistency and they have to enter into these contracts. I mean, it must be a little frustrating for them too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, throughout the supply chain issues, there have been, you know, a a lot of issues with this. Um, And USDA did allow some flexibility throughout um, the pandemic, but it has been a, a big problem for schools and it is hard to stay consistent and uh, ensure you have solid supply chains if, you know, things keep changing. So if a school decides or is implored by their school board or parents to, I guess, go above and beyond, they want to offer uh, more milk to kids, different types of milk for kids, is that within their purview, Michael, or are they really restricted regardless of what their parents and school board may ask? They are restricted on what they can be reimbursed for through USDA. Um, but, you know, I believe there are ways for them to take some things upon themselves um, as long as they don't ask for reimbursement through USDA. I'm not an expert in that area, mm-hmm. but I believe that would be how it works. So, really, this is an issue that not only dairy farmers but parents need to kind of stay abreast of. And if they're not satisfied with it, come up with creative ways to support their schools and work around it, huh? Absolutely. So when are we going to be having another conversation about this, Michael? Like we said, it's on again, off again. So right now, we're, we're at least standing on fair footing with uh, the access to flavored milk. When, when is this going to reoccur for more conversation? Yeah, like I said, this is a transitional rule, um, and it is for the next two school years. Um, but the USDA has indicated that they're going to come out with the final uh, the ro- the proposed rule for the final rule um, later this year. And so um, the the proposal will be introduced, and then from there, everyone will put in their um, comments and input, and the whole rulemaking process will probably go on for two years. But, you know, when that proposed rule is announced, that's kind of when we'll probably start the process again, and we'll be chatting again about um, what USDA has decided to do there. But we're going to make sure to engage them in the meantime to make sure that we do stay on the menu for children because milk and dairy in general are a nutritious product. It is um, very affordable, and we do believe that they should, it should be on the menu for children. And I'm assuming that parents' and producers' voices can also be heard. Absolutely. Um, during the comment periods and, you know, just reaching out to USDA, reaching out to your members of Congress, um, there's plenty of avenues for you to... Um, for parents and um, farmers to engage uh, the agency and other folks in Washington, D.C. on this. All right. So like we said, whether you've got kids or not in the school system, you need to be aware of what's happening with your product. Michael Wadig is along with us. She is the person that's Associate Director of Government Affairs for Edge Dairy Cooperative. Flavored milk still in our school programs, but like she said, it is constant discussion and it is kind of a hot potato that goes from one side to the other when it comes to the offerings that schools are allowed to be reimbursed for through USTA. Stay engaged in the process. More at MidwestFarmReport.com.